We're in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Philippi appears to have been a church begging to be planted. I say that because in the book of Acts, chapter 16, Paul and his friends were looking for some place to pray, looking for some family to pray with. They had a lot of things going on, a lot of missions were going on, and they needed to pray. And somehow they learned about a group of women who would meet down by the riverside every Sabbath day for prayer. They decided to go down there and to pray with this special group of women. And while they were there, Paul started talking to them and kind of teaching them, possibly even by inspiration, one of the women named Lydia, a seller of purple, the Bible says, a seller of fine linen. Thank you so much, ma'am. A seller of fine linen. She says to Paul and his team, why don't you guys come to my house? And just do Bible study from my house going forward. Make my place the launching pad for your ministry. What a good idea. That's how the church at Philippi was born. Because a woman by the river invited Paul and his friends to do ministry from her house. And Paul was with them and Paul stayed with them for a while. We don't know how long, but while Paul was with them, Paul was their pastor. He taught them and he trained them, he exhorted them and he preached to them. And Paul was impressed with their willingness to learn. They were malleable, they were teachable. And even after Paul had gone, they remained so. Paul testifies in chapter 2, verse 12, and says this, So then, my beloved, talking to the Philippians, so then, my beloved. And that shows you how much love and affection he had for them. He calls them my beloved. He was fond of these people. He was fond of them for many reasons. But I am, I'm certain that some of Paul's deep appreciation for the church at Philippi had a lot to do with the fact that they made his life and his ministry easier. They followed him and they followed his teachings faithfully. He says, so then my beloved, as you, just as you have always obeyed, I like that, you have always obeyed. How many people have a child they can say that about? My child always obeys. Just as you have always obeyed, not sometimes. Not just when it was convenient for you. Paul says they faithfully learned and they consistently followed his teachings. They always obeyed. Not as, he says, not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence. I'm gone and you're still being faithful. I'm gone and you're still being consistent. This is proof of the fact that their faith is not a facade. It's the real thing. When Paul was preaching to them, they weren't just coming to a place on the Sabbath day to, to hear a man or see a man do a thing. And then going Monday through Saturday living any way they wanted. No, they were going to church, hearing the preached gospel and receiving instruction and following the instruction for the week. This was a faithful and a committed church. I'm sure Paul considered this to be his legacy church. Because this church appears to be the most precise replication of Paul's life and of his teachings. The model church completely yielded to the will of God, completely obedient to God's every command. That's the church at Philippi. And so Paul encourages them with these words. Since you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. We've got to unpack that. Work out your own salvation. To work out is translated from a Greek word that suggests a continuing emphasis. So what Paul is really saying to them is, keep on working out your own salvation. Keep on 
working out your own salvation to completion, to ultimate fulfillment until the race is finally run, keep on working it out. Stay on the wall. Keep standing in the gap. Keep on living for Jesus. Keep on obeying his every command. Keep on putting in the work. <laughs> the work of Bible study. The work of spiritual discernment. The work of spiritual listening. The work of prayer. The work of patience. The work of forgiveness. Keep on working it out. To work out means to bear fruit. That's what glorifies the Father, Jesus says, not only that we bear fruit, but that our fruit would remain. Keep on working it out. Keep on bearing fruit. And this requires faithful and consistent effort. And that's what we're talking about today, effort. A lot of Christians don't believe we need to put forth any effort in this walk with Christ, but that's, that's not so. Paul says here, you need to keep on consistently and faithfully putting forth some effort, putting in some work to make this relationship with Jesus Christ work for you. But the church at Philippi is already working it out. He just said so. He just said they always obeyed much more now in his absence. They're already working it out. They keep on working it out. Paul said so. So I wonder, why does the Holy Spirit then find it necessary to tell them to keep doing what they're already doing? I can think of three, maybe four reasons why that might be so. I can think of three, maybe four reasons why we need the constant reminder and the constant encouragement to keep on working it out. And the first reason why we need this encouragement is because sometimes even the most faithful believer will be tempted to quit. Sometimes even the most faithful believer can be tempted to quit. How many times must I forgive this person? How often must I continuously bite my tongue how long do I have to suffer this indignation? How long will the wicked be allowed to prosper while I falter? How long? Why is God not coming through for me? Sometimes even the most faithful believers can be tempted to quit. The cares and the challenges of this life can wear us down can make us want to throw in the towel and just walk away. There are a lot of uh, discouraged believers over the years I've known who have left their walk with Christ, who have left the race because they bought into the health and wealth prosperity gospel. They gave all they had, they gave all their family had, waiting for God to make them healthy and rich. And finally, when nothing seemed to work, they just quit. They threw in the towel, they walked away. After sacrificing their time and sometimes their family relationships, hoping and expecting God to heal them, hoping and expecting God to make them prosperous. And after years and years of faithfully giving and toiling, in their older years, they abandoned the faith or at least they make the faith a secondary issue in their lives, just quit and throw in the towel. Deciding to go on their own and create their own seasons. I don't need God for this. I'll create my own seasons. The faith doesn't work. There are others who have been abiding by the golden rule, loving their neighbor for most of their lives, doing what they believe the Bible calls for them to do. Like the song says, they've been lied on, they've been cheated, they've been talked about, they've been mistreated. But they've held on. They bore it all. They bore the cross for as long as they thought they could until finally they decided that God's vengeance just takes too long. They abandoned the faith, chose to assert themselves and be their own defender instead of waiting on the Lord. Sometimes even the most faithful believers can be tempted to quit. 
Because consistent obedience to the will of God does not always necessarily yield the most positive outcomes for my personal life. That's just a fact. Sometimes it's just the opposite. Very often, consistent obedience to Jesus Christ causes me more suffering and more pain than I would have had had I done something else. The way of faith is the way of suffering. And because suffering tends to diminish our resolve, we need to be occasionally encouraged and reminded to keep on working it out. Another reason we need to be encouraged to keep on working it out is because sometimes working for and serving the Lord can feel monotonous. Can anybody relate to that? Sometimes living this life of, with Christ can feel rather monotonous and mundane. It seems like no matter what the malady, very often the prescription is always the same. Either forgive or be patient or try to help somebody or deny myself. The answers are always the same. It seems somewhat monotonous sometimes. And so I forgive that person, but the person only treats me worse and worse, so I have to forgive again. I exercise patience, but my name still isn't vindicated, so I force myself to remain more patient. I help, but it seems like the people I'm helping never get any better. I deny myself, and it seems to always end up, I end up at the end of the line every time. Nothing ever seems to change. Sometimes this walk can feel monotonous, somewhat even boring. In the last couple of weeks in our country, we've had numerous, numerous mass shootings. And after every mass shooting, we hear the same mantra over and over again. We all know it by rote. Thoughts and prayers, and thoughts and prayers, and thoughts and prayers. Nothing changes. The same struggle I was having when I was a young believer, I still struggle with the same thing today. It seems like nothing changes. The same thing, the same problems over and over again. When you feel like this, and sometimes we feel like this, when you feel like this, you need the Holy Spirit to remind you to keep on working it out. The third reason we need to be encouraged to keep on working it out is because much of our walk with Christ feels like we're walking alone. Can anybody relate to that? Sometimes our walk with Christ feels like we're walking all alone. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be so much easier to keep on working if we were always conscious of the Lord's presence with us as we go? Wouldn't it be so much easier if we were always conscious of the presence of Christ? Yeah, it would be. How much more could we get done how much further could we walk if the presence of Christ was always palpable with us and we could always sense the power and the presence of Almighty God? Wouldn't it be much easier that way? Seems like the answer to the question is obvious. Seems like the answer would be yes. But a recent study that came out from Purdue University would say otherwise. Purdue University did a study and they found out that Husbands and wives who walk together for exercise tend to lose less weight, burn fewer calories, and overall are just as unhealthy as they were before they started walking. You know why? Because when you're walking with somebody, you walk slow. Because you're talking, because you're hanging out, you're not exercising, you're relating. They concluded that it's good to walk alone. Because when you walk alone, you tend to walk faster. When you walk with somebody else, you tend to walk slower. And don't let it be me and my wife. We like to hold hands when we walk. <laughs> and she has those short legs, so I'm walking like this. <laughs> you walk faster when you walk alone. You burn more calories when you walk alone. God knows that. God knows exactly when you need him and when you can walk by yourself. Sometimes you need to walk alone. 
It doesn't mean that he's not present. He just doesn't always make you aware of his presence. You know why? Because if you're walking along and you're doing, and you see Jesus, you're going to slow down. And you want to talk about your past, and you want to talk about your problems, and you want to bring him up to speed everything in your life, and you just want to sit here and adore him all day. There's work to be done. I can't just be walking with you all the time. Sometimes you need to walk alone, get the work done, go to work. There is a time to pray, there is a time to study the Bible, but there is also a time to work. God knows what he's doing, and he gives us just enough of his consolation to motivate us to keep on working. If we were always absolutely certain that Christ is right beside us, we would become complacent. Spiritual complacency is one of the greatest threats to a healthy spiritual life and walk with God. Spiritual complacency. The spiritually complacent believer cannot find the time, does not possess the energy, and cannot find the courage to take any risk for God. Complacent. They don't want to walk alone because they don't want to feel alone. They dread the feeling of being led out into the deep and abandoned by God. And when they can't feel Christ, they think they've lost Christ. They think they've displeased him in some way. So they decide it's better to do nothing at all than to risk moving without him. Do you know any people like that? Don't think about anybody else, think about yourself. How much more would you get done for the kingdom of God if you were absolutely 100% certain that Jesus is with you all the time? You'd get much more done than you're getting done right now. But we become afraid to take the risk because we can't feel him. And when we can't feel him, we don't feel like he's with us. And so we just stand still and mark time and make excuses for our complacency. But this walk with Jesus Christ is not a walk by sight. This is a walk by faith. We do not walk by our feelings. We walk by faith. The spiritually complacent person mistakes his feeling the presence of God for the presence of God itself, and that's a huge mistake. Sometimes when I feel God the least, he shows up for me the most. <laughs> this person, this spiritually complacent person, needs to be encouraged to keep on working it out. Don't allow your feelings to determine your fervor. Be on fire and stay on fire, even when it's raining in your life. Keep working it out. When you can see or sense him, and when you have not heard from God in a year, keep working it out. Walk by faith, and not by sight. All of us, well, maybe not all of us, but Many of us have been through seasons in our lives where we couldn't sense the presence of God for months and months on end. Have you ever had that experience? Where you open your Bible and it seems like no one's saying anything. When you get on your knees, it seems like the ceiling is just above your head and nobody's listening to you. Some people have had months, some people have gone that way for years. This is where the metal of your faith is truly tested. Do you believe I'm with you when I give you no when I turn out all the lights, are you still certain within yourself that I am with you? <laughs> he doesn't do that very often to babes in Christ. That, that, would, that would kind of be unfair. But when you've been walking with God for a while sometimes, you know it's true. Sometimes God just turns out the lights, plays peekaboo with you. And you run around in the dark trying to find him. Where are you? I feel dry, alone. I feel he's right there. But he doesn't even let you know it, no. Nope. Just walk alone. Sometimes it's good to have to exercise your faith. Sometimes it's good when your household seems to be going topsy-turvy and nothing seems to make sense and you can't figure it out. Sometimes it's good to stay right there. That is the perfect place to grow. That is the perfect place to learn that your feelings do not dictate the presence of God. Even if I don't feel like I believe, I believe. Because my faith is greater than my feelings. My faith is based on my trust in the word of God, his character and his promises to me. We walk by faith 
And by faith in those dry seasons, we keep on working it out. We keep on going through the motions even when we don't feel a thing. It's not about the feeling. It's about my consistent faithfulness and obedience to the written word of God. So I keep working it out. The final reason we may, we, we may need to be encouraged to keep on working it out is because sometimes we think we have arrived. Sometimes we think we have arrived. We think we have a clear understanding of how the kingdom works. We feel like we know how to live our lives according to the scriptures already. We think we have arrived. We know there's still a lot more to learn, but we feel that we've arrived to a stable enough position in Christ where hyper-focus on my spiritual life is no longer necessary. We feel secure in our spiritual acumen, our spiritual accomplishments, and our spiritual devotion. So we slack off. We don't keep on working it out. We take our foot off the accelerator because we feel like we're in a good place. <laughs> Maybe this is why Paul is encouraging the church at Philippi. Because this is a really good church, filled with some very consistent and very faithful people. But Paul doesn't want them to be lulled into a false sense of security and lose their focus. Paul doesn't want them to fall into a false sense of security and remove, re release their diligent posture toward Christ and end up making shipwreck, thinking they're standing, end up falling. And believe me when I tell you, it can happen to any of us. The moment we stop paying attention to the field of our hearts is the moment that our adversary comes in and plants weeds among our wheat and our lives begin to bear sour fruit. We have to pay attention, we have to be diligent, we have to keep on working it out. We must put forth every effort, brothers and sisters. We must be diligent at all times. We must keep on working it out because the work of sanctification will not be done in us until we see Jesus Christ face to face. And that's what Paul is actually referring to here. He says, keep on working out your own salvation. That doesn't sound right. Wait a minute, I'm saved by grace through faith. Keep on working out my salvation. Well. Salvation has three stages. And the first stage of salvation is justification. I'm justified by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and God has counted me as righteous. I'm holy in God's view. That's the first stage, justification. And my only responsibility in justification is to believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's all I do. And God says, well, Calvin, now you're a child of God. You're born again. Come into the kingdom. Yeah, yeah, justification. And the final stage of salvation then is glorification. When Jesus splits the clouds, and we meet him in the air and we see him face to face. The Bible says that we shall be like him when we see him as he is. We shall be glorified. That's the final stage. So you got the first stage, justification. You've got the final stage, glorification. But there's a stage right there in between. The stage in which we live right now. And that is the stage of sanctification. This is the, the middle stage of our salvation. We've already been justified by faith. We're waiting to be glorified. But in the meantime, we are being sanctified. In the first stage, we are declared holy. In the final stage, we are made holy. But in this present stage of sanctification, we are being made holy. That's what it means to be sanctified. To be made holy over time. The holiness that we receive by faith is the holiness by which God has justified us. We only have a very small role in our justification. The holiness that we will receive in the last day is a complete and total transformation. We will be glorified. We will play no role in that process. 
But the holiness that we attain to in this life is a holiness that incrementally conforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. We play no role in justification. We play no great role in glorification. But we have a very active role to play in our sanctification. This is why Paul urges us to keep on working it out. Don't become passive about your sanctification. Get involved with the Holy Spirit. Stay engaged in the outworking of holiness in your own life. Keep working it out. Keep putting in the work. Put forth every effort to be found of Jesus Christ as one who is striving to live a holy life. And do this work, Paul says, with fear and trembling. Keep on working out your sanctification with conscientious integrity. When, when people see you and when they don't, keep working out your salvation. Not for men, not for the crowd, but for Christ alone. Someone said that imitation is the highest compliment. What better compliment can we give to Jesus Christ? What greater sign of our admiration can we give to him? What greater honor can we show to him than to strive to be like him? This is obvious, but I'll say it anyway. It takes commitment to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It takes faithful commitment to be conformed to the image of Jesus. It takes some focus to be conformed to his image. It requires sincere love and a holy aspiration to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But most importantly, to become like Jesus Christ requires our complete and absolute cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says. Keep working out your sanctification with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to work for God's good pleasure. It is God doing this work in you. It is God in us who gives us the desire to be like Jesus, and it is God in us who gives us the ability to become like Jesus. But it is each of our responsibility to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit who is within us if we're going to be made holy. This is the effort that we have been called to. The work that you and I have been called to is the work of yielding. In the military we had a saying, we say hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait, because in the military, they, you got to be in formation at a certain time, and you may stand in formation for two hours. You may just stand there for an hour and a half, just waiting for the work to begin. Hurry up and wait. That's the work we're called to, to hurry up, to get ready, to yield. That is the work. Yielding to the Holy Spirit is the work that we have been called to do. While this work might sound passive, you may be thinking, that's all I have to do is just yield to the Holy Spirit? This work sounds passive, but this work is anything but passive. To yield to the Holy Spirit very often means to resist my own desires and my own inclinations, and that is a difficult thing to do. To yield to the Holy Spirit within me means to view myself, my natural desires, my wants and my needs as being secondary in importance. That's not an easy thing to do. To yield to and to obey the Holy Spirit requires that I reject my own opinion and my own way in deference to the way that Christ has chosen for my life. This is what it means to yield and this is not an easy thing. Selfless living is hard work. How hard is it? You're sitting there looking at me right now and thinking, Calvin, that's not difficult at all. I love Jesus. It's not, not hard for me at all. I don't know why you have such a problem, Pastor. It's not, it's not hard for me at all. Let's look at Paul's instruction then in verse 14. Tell me this isn't difficult. And after I read this, then you just take a moment to yourself to consider just how difficult this really is. Paul says that we are to do all things without complaining or arguing. And we all just fail. Do all things 
without complaining, without arguing. That's difficult to do, isn't it? Anybody want to be honest? That's difficult to do. All of us just failed that. If you're honest with yourself, there is not one day that goes by where you do not either complain about something or argue about something or debate about something. Not a day goes by that you don't do that. If you drive on the highways in Chicago, you complain every day. Let's make that the challenge for this week. I want you to see how difficult this is. We're going to make this a challenge just for this week. From right now, this moment, until next Saturday. Be conscious not to complain or to argue about anything. See how many days you can go. Don't be discouraged when you, when you find out that you really can't control yourself very well. Just try it anyway. And when you only go one day, just send me an email, just say one. Send me an email, you don't, have, you don't have to say anything, don't explain anything, just two, four. If you, get, if you get the four, you did really good. If you can go four days without complaining, without arguing, you did really good. That's what it means to be sanctified, to be keeping up the work, to be staying on top of my passions, my desires, and my inclinations. It's challenging work. It requires focus. You know what else it requires? It requires, I'm feeling good now, it, it requires spiritual quiet. Let me slow down, let me slow down right there. To fully engage with the Holy Spirit as he sanctifies me from within requires some spiritual silence. Yeah, that, that, that. Facebook doesn't make a lot of noise, but Facebook is noisy, isn't it? Internally disturbing. The world is noisy. To do this focused work of sanctification requires that you be able to quiet yourself and listen. which requires self-control, which is not, brothers and sisters, an easy thing to do. Do all things without complaining and without arguing. That's our task. That's a tall task. That's our task for this week. One that most of us will likely fail before this day is even done. And we will fail because we lack the power, we lack the ability, we lack the interior discipline to control our own emotions. Your flesh does not just do what you say because you said it. It requires serious work and daily practice to bring your flesh under subjection. The flesh has no taste and the flesh has no desire to be sanctified and your flesh will not go gently into the night without a fight. That's why you have to work. <laughs> you're not working against the devil, you're not working against society, you're not working against culture, you're working against your own flesh. Your flesh is pretty strong. If you do Facebook and watch movies for three quarters of your day every day, if you engage in negative talk with a half of your day, your flesh is empowered every time you neglect your spiritual life. And every time you neglect your spiritual life, your flesh gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So putting him down is not an easy task. And that's the work of sanctification, to put the flesh down. That requires some serious work. That can be grueling, that can be tiring. And that's why Paul encourages them, listen, keep on working it out. 
Stay on the wall, stay in the gap. Keep working it out. And as we keep working it out, as we keep staying on top of our thoughts, staying on top of our actions and our words and our wills, Paul says, you will prove yourselves. We'll prove ourselves to ourselves, we'll prove ourselves to God, and we'll prove ourselves to anyone who might be watching our lives that by the power of Jesus Christ, we have become, Paul says, blameless and innocent. That our lives and our actions are above reproach. We do everything above board. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, we stand out like a sore thumb. We appear to them as light in a darkened world, Paul says. And then when we present the word of life to others, when we preach the gospel to others, we will be found credible witnesses. There's nothing worse than a believer who's trying to tell someone the good news and can't control him or herself. The world just looks and laughs and says, this person is suffering from a delusion. They're talking about freedom, but they're in bondage. They're alcoholics, they're, they're, they're sleeping around. They're doing all of these things, all of this sin in their own lives, and they're trying to save me. No, no, when we present the word of life, we present our life as an example of the power of this word. And the only way we can be a credible, viable, Witness to the word in our lives is if we yield to the Holy Spirit and we keep on working it out. <sighs> By our lifestyles, we hold firmly the word of life. And Paul says if they do this, they, he can take pride in the last day that his labor was not in vain. But more importantly, if you and I will do this, if you and I will consistently and continually work out our sanctification, yield to the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that look like, though? I don't want to hold you too long. What does that look like? There's something I do. It's very simple. I've been doing it for a long time. Anytime trouble comes, today I'm not feeling well. I'm not feeling well today. And I'm already working in my mind, how am I going to get some sanctification out of this? I just do it naturally almost. How am I going to get some sanctification? How am I going to get better spiritually because of this? How am I going to demonstrate to God my faithfulness because of this? How can I use this problem? How can I use this suffering to sanctify me? I'm always thinking that way. You should always be thinking that way. When you're having trouble with your wife, when you're having trouble with your husband, stop blaming them. Sometimes it's good to go into your secret place and say, God, what are you trying to purge me of through this? How can I use this family problem to sanctify me? Every problem can be a sanctifying element if we will allow it. If we're always focused and paying attention to our own spiritual lives, we can gain from every setback, from every suffering, from every pain, no matter how bad it might be. It is through suffering that we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the way this works. So when I'm suffering, I'm immediately asking the question, how can I benefit spiritually from this? <laughs> how can I grow from this? Yeah, man. When you, when you keep on working, when you're consistently focused on your spiritual growth and health, you learn how to take advantage of every opportunity to grow. Keep on working it out, brothers and sisters. Keep putting forth the effort. Do not become weary in your well-doing. Stay focused on pleasing God in everything that you do and say, in every trial, in every setback, in your dry season, keep on working it out. In sunshine and in rain, keep on working it out. When darkness tries to hide God's face, Keep on working it out. When you're tired, when you're weary, when you're frustrated and staggering from defeat, keep on working out your sanctification because it is God who is at work in you. <laughs> Giving you the ability to will his will, to do his will, and to grow from the challenges that he sets before you. Lately, we've been talking a lot in the church about working for the Lord and doing ministry, which is a very important part. A very important part of our discipleship is working for the Lord, serving others to the glory of God. 
is very important for all of us as ministers, that as we pray about and think about and consider our ministries and our communities, that we're being careful and focused to work out our sanctification, that we are spiritually healthy and that we are ready for the battle. Because when we step onto the field, when the devil sees us putting on our shoulder pads and our helmet, he's gonna be waiting right there. And if you're not spiritually healthy, you will fall by the wayside. But if you stay focused and you keep on working it out and you keep on being diligent to serve the Lord as best you can and to follow his standard written in the word and to follow his direction that you receive in prayer, you'll be healthy, you'll be ready to do great things for God to bring many sons and daughters to glorify his name. Put forth the effort. Putting forth effort in the kingdom of God is one of the finer things. It's one of the things, unfortunately, that we miss in our, in our walk nowadays. I don't know why it is. We, we, we talk about grace all the time, and it seems like the more we talk about grace, the more complacent we become. Yes, salvation is free. Justification is free. But if you want to experience victorious living in Jesus Christ today, right now in the present, you're going to have to put forth more effort. You're gonna to have to take your spiritual life and your spiritual walk much more seriously. You're going to have to stop sinning so callously. Even when it's a small sin, you're gonna to have to start putting up a fight even against small sins, being vigilant being diligent. <laughs> yeah, man. <clears throat> Jesus said the little foxes destroy the vine. Those little small sins add up over time. Be careful to keep your lives pure before God. Be careful to repent when you sin. Be careful not to take the grace of God in vain and realize that as children of God, it is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. It is possible to make the Holy Spirit step back from us and say, you know what? No, I'm not engaging with you, Calvin. The way you've been acting for the last week, I will not be a part of that. I will not participate with that. He does that sometimes. When we get out of pocket, when we get beside ourselves, when we start sinning and we think, we, I got grace, so everything is good with me, that little sin doesn't even matter. That sin does matter. Holiness matters. Jesus said, be holy because your God is holy. <laughs> and as we keep on working out our sanctification with fear and trembling, <laughs> we'll be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ and we'll experience victorious living on this side of heaven, as I pray we all will. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, there is so much work to be done in our lives. We recognize for the most part that we are undone, that we are saved and justified by your grace through a faith that you have given to us. And because you have entrusted us with this faith, because you have given us this great gift of salvation in appreciation we desire to do your will, to be who you've called us to be, to become who you've called us to become, to do the work that you have called us to do. I pray for the spiritual health of every person in this church. Lord God, that as they begin to yield and to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, to do what they know to be right, when they decide to stop cutting corners and to actually step up to the plate, and to attempt to live their lives according to your standard and make no excuses for their own sin. I pray that you will empower them, Lord, to live victorious lives and to do great feats for your glory in the land. I pray that we will take seriously our spiritual health and our spiritual growth, that we will not slack our reins, that we will not become complacent. Father, it is you in us who is doing the work. It is you who has given us the will. We pray that we'll heed your Holy Spirit, that we'll yield to your commands, that we'll be conformed to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.
took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes this is the time in our service that we call the Believer's Communion. In response to Jesus Christ's uh, command to us uh, to remember him by the drinking of the wine and the eating of the bread, to acknowledge his suffering and his death on Calvary's cross on our behalf. And we call this the Believer's Communion because of the blood of Jesus Christ along with us. In response to the message today, I think we should take a moment to quiet ourselves, and to do a serious examination of our hearts, our motivations, our thoughts, our deeds, and to be honest with God about where we stand in our spiritual life, to be honest with God about our spiritual health, to be honest if we are slacking to tell God I'm sorry that I kind of slacked the reins, renew a right spirit within me. Renew my determination, renew my fervor to follow. Let's take a moment to quiet ourselves. And I'll close us out. Let's take a moment to quiet ourselves. And I'll close us out in the word of prayer.
Father God, the words resonate in our hearts. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Tempted to quit. Some of us have become lukewarm. Not willing and not desiring to do your work or to do your will. Some of us are just afraid. Because we haven't heard your voice in such a long time, we are uncertain about where we stand and about what we should be doing. And so we faltered. Then many of us have sinned numerous times over the past month in all sorts of ways. Our faith has become more religion than fact. We repent today. We ask you, Father God, by your Holy Spirit to make us better. You promise, Father, that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgive and cleanse us even right now. Conform us into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Give us the will, the power, and the ability, Lord God, to keep on working it out to keep putting in our very best for you, giving you the best part of our day, giving you the best parts of our lives. Help us to recommit to you sincerely today. Bless these sacraments as we together recall the suffering and crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to remember Help us to more fully appreciate the sacrifice that Jesus made and prepare our minds thereby, Lord God, to sacrifice in a similar way for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.